0: Well, good morning, everyone. It's great uh, to be back. Um, It's been a while. I think it was about a year ago uh, I was last here. And just before we start, it's been such an encouragement every time I've been here. The numbers have been growing. first time I was here, we weren't allowed more than 10 or 12 people in here. So it's been great to see uh, the growth, um, despite so many difficult circumstances that you guys will be far more aware of uh, than I and yet the Lord has been good to you. The Lord God has been good to see you guys grow. And that's uh, part of where we're going to be looking at today in Psalm uh, 124. Um, and as I said, I've known, you know, Sam and through Chalmers and Ian through Chalmers. And before that as well, uh, if you want any am- ammo on Ian or his brother James, let me know. Uh, live with him for two years so I can uh, let you know for a small fee. Um, but where we're going uh, today is uh, back in the Psalms of Ascent, uh, as we mentioned. And Sam started you guys up uh, on this a few weeks ago uh, when he did the first three. And in the Psalms of Ascent, the whole uh, collection from 121 to 134, where we go is um, seeing and being brought face to face with a personal, deeply loving and powerful God who loves to help his people. Now, we are passing through this world. We are ascending uh, to this God's place, to Jerusalem, to our new home with him. And the path is tough, it's narrow, it's winding. But we keep going. And we're given plenty of reason to keep going. So today, as Ian said, we're looking at Psalm 124. And next week, uh, we're going to look at Psalm 125. And I hope you see, as I have been able to see through looking through these more carefully, that however painful that experience, Ian prayed about this uh, earlier on, however slow or non-existent or progress may feel in the Christian life, the Lord has and will continue to keep you going until you make it home. So let me pray uh, briefly before uh, we dig into uh, Psalm 124. Father, we thank you that we can be here this morning uh, to look at your word Thank you for the opportunity us to gather here in these numbers. Thank you that the numbers here have grown uh, over the years. And thank you that it's that is down to your faithfulness. Pray that uh, as I, um, as we look at these uh, words uh, from your word, that you would, by your power, speak through them uh, and that we would come to know uh, and in a better way and in a deeper way your love for us and your goodness towards your people. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Now, I wonder uh, if you've ever been involved in a near-miss or a near-death experience. An event that had it gone slightly differently, you might have been hurt or even worse. Now, I was lucky enough uh, to spend one um, student summer in India working with a school and connections to Scotland there. It was a very memorable six weeks, but uh, the many, of the many things we saw in that amazing country of the culture, One aspect of life there that I will never forget is being a passenger on the roads there. So this picture here, if you can't see it all that well, this was on my first night, but half an hour after getting picked up on my way to where I was going to be staying, and that is what used to be a lorry with the cabin ripped open. And I regularly spent time on these journeys praying that all would be okay because the roads there, if you haven't been or haven't been to countries similar, they're more pothole than road. We got told that you need three things When you're driving there, you need a good horn, good brakes, and good luck. (laughs) And there were more than our fair share of close calls with cars overtaking on blind bends, forcing us to swerve towards sheer drops with no road barrier in sight. But fortunately, we made it through with good horns, good brakes, and good luck. But when we get through uh, these journeys, when I got through these journeys, and maybe you've been in a passenger in journeys like this or have had near-death experiences or near misses, and you've walked away, you wonder, what if? Now, as we dig into Psalm 124, let me just remind us uh, of where you've been in the last few weeks leading up to this. Psalm 121, you were lifting your eyes to the maker of heaven and earth, understanding that we need the help on this tough journey, on a world that is not our own. 122 was lifting our eyes to God's house, to the destination on this journey, getting ourselves ready for this place and longing for it and the eternal gifts that that city offers. And the last time uh, that you went through the uh, Psalms of Ascent, in 123, was lifting our eyes to God himself. This was a plea for patience in suffering And an encouragement to keep looking to God himself until he acts in mercy towards us in the face of the world's contempt. So when we look up to God, to our home, to our destination, what do we see? The Psalms leading up to this one are looking ahead on that difficult journey. Affirming God's character, we see it, L-O-R-D, capitals, Yahweh, and what that means is that he will and has already done these things. Watching over us, not letting our foot slide like we saw in Psalm 121. As we look ahead to that city. Now where the previous three Psalms we've looked at look forward. As they ascend that hill. Psalm 124 looks back on the journey so far. Look at the language just especially in the first half uh, of the Psalm. If it had not been for the Lord, who was on our side, and then we see a rep- repetition of would have, would have, would have. This is looking back on the difficulty of that journey, but being thankful that He was on our side. The Psalm, the beginning, the middle, and the end of this Psalm, they all point to the Lord and His character and call on His people to praise Him as a result of that character. When we look back on the journey to see how He has protected us and kept us. We can then lift our eyes to him as we carry on forward, confidently continuing on to our home that's awaiting us. So as we dig in uh, to uh, the psalm, the first uh, kind of point we're looking at is just verses 1 to 5. And it's that the Lord ensures his people are not destroyed amidst fierce opposition. Now the start of the psalm removes any doubt as to the point it's trying to make. Let's just look at it again, just verses 1 and 2. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us. David opens to remind the people, or even have them remind themselves as they sing it, of the only ultimate truth that really matters. The Lord is on their side. We've mentioned it before. This is our way of showing in the English translation that it's Yahweh we're speaking of. The I am who I am. It's God's entire character rolled into one word. The relational, powerful, purposeful God who will keep his covenant promises to his people because that is who he is. And he has promised to take his people to be with him in his kingdom. And David doubles down on this identity. We see that of who to be thanked. So see that little let Israel now say. It's like he's saying, can you hear me? Do you hear what I'm saying here? Say it with me, sing it with me. If the Lord had not been on our side. And then he asks that question that I mentioned earlier on. What What if the Lord were not on our side? Now, the consensus uh, on when this was written was probably after some sort of military victory. Uh, some people tie it to Second Samuel uh, chapter 5. But more generally, as Israel's history has unfolded in the New Testament, as David looked back on Israel's history, you can see that they've come through their fair share of close calls, haven't they? This has often, again, come in the form of deadly, uh, persistent opposition the most powerful nation in the world at the time, worked them to the bone for 400 years. That's followed by 40 years of exile of their own making. They faced attacks and trials that they had no right to get through. And yet they did. Even in his own life, David can recall coming through more deadly opposition than we could even think of here in Edinburgh, in Scotland, against Goliath. Against Saul and in the wars that he fought as king. And yet he got through them. His kingdom stood. Now, misunderstanding this history could lead Israel to think that they would have some right to be proud or to kind of feel like they've done something to earn this honor of being worked for, being saved by the Lord. Or if they know their Israelite history, and they, we know that they did they may have been tempted to misguidedly praise the people that were at the center of that. Moses for raising up his staff at the Red Sea. The guys who blew the trumpets at Jericho's walls and caused them to fall down. Or even David's own military savvy in leading them to these victories time and again that we see in the Old Testament. But David knows that if these people, or he himself, were working on his own, without Yahweh being at the backs, there would be no kingdom to speak of. It's almost comical how it reads. Just keep going down with me from verses 3 to 5. When people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. One catastrophe, then another then another, then another. There's absolutely no way Israel survives any of this. It's not destroyed, it's not wiped off the face of the planet after these things happening. Now, key thing here is this would have happened. It would have been too much. They would have been swallowed up or burned up by the anger of their opponents. But... Because Yahweh was on their side, in keeping with his promises to them, this was not the case. This did not happen. David is absolutely clear here that the only person, the only one who's responsible for their continued existence and survival is the Lord himself. And therefore we should praise him and him alone. And just to clarify That doesn't mean, and David's very clear on this, that that doesn't mean the waters wouldn't exist. The trials, the difficulties. He still acknowledges uh, their presence here. It doesn't say that the waters would not have come. He says they were there, but they would not have swallowed them alive. He can recount them from national and personal experience that he went through these waters. The anger, the burning anger, when it was kindled up against him. Spurgeon uh, wrote on this, he said, anger is never more fiery than when the people of God are its subjects. Sparks become flames and the furnace is heated seven times hotter when God's elect are to be thrust into the blaze. Now we see certain examples of this here in the UK, stories of Christians being brought up in front of their bosses for answering honest questions about their faith. Christian unions being disassociated from their student unions for wanting to the committee to be all Christians. Or if we think more globally, and more in line with kind of the language that's been spoken of here, the church in other parts of the world. If you log in to a website like Open Doors or somewhere like that, it says that last year more than 5,000 churches and church buildings were forcibly closed, looted or destroyed. The anger against them is real and is literally burning in many places across the world. The floods and torrents are battering them, but they are not swept away. We see stories of the church growing in places like Iran, China, Afghanistan, places like that where it's deadly to be a Christian. And amidst that, there's churches still growing, and that is a real source of joy and a reason to praise the Lord. Now, a right reaction to knowing and seeing this off the back of being brought through these torrents and floods is praise to the one who brought you through it. And this is where uh, David goes uh, next in this psalm. So we had our first point where we say that the Lord will keep his people and <coughs> preserve them from being destroyed amidst deadly opposition. And then the second point, so praise the Lord who is our only Lasting help. This is verses 6 and 7. Let me just read them again. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Now, David changes his focus ever so slightly here. He moves from outlining the fate that would have happened had the Lord not been on their side. To detailing ways in which he has acted to show that he is on their side. The Apostle Paul regularly breaks out in praise in his letters after writing about God's character. We've just seen that, and we've just seen God, God's character displayed. And then David praises the Lord, just like Paul does throughout the New Testament, which is the aim of this Psalm. That's why this Psalm was written, so that we would praise the Lord when looking back, so that we can go forward. And we see another two images. Of this here. Firstly, that we've not been given as prey to their teeth. The one uh, kind of contemporary phrase that I could think of with this was, victory from the jaws of defeat. Anyone who's into sporting analogies might know that, or into Scottish sport, it might be more defeat from the jaws of victory. Um, But what's been said here is that, again, if not for the Lord, then they would, it's along with that swallowed up analogy in the first section they would have been ground up their teeth would have been sunk in and that would have been it and then we see this second um, image as well God's people being described as birds they're delicate they're vulnerable and they are in the snare of the fowlers now a fowler's snare that's one of these I think biblical terms that I've heard written in songs and never quite actually understood what it really is uh, but a uh, fowler, it was basically someone who was employed to trap and kill birds for, by farmers and by people like that. And the snare was the trap. So this would have been baited with seed or fruit or something like that to attract the bird in, and then the trap would close. So who is the fowler here? What is the fowler um, representing? It's the evil one. It's those who are against God's people. It's the opposition that goes against God's people so kind of virulently, so violently, and those that he uses to oppose God's people. And a big potential pitfall, a big potential snare that comes when we are opposed, when life is difficult, is letting despondency or helplessness just take over. Not to say that these are not Valid not to say that you know, Job is full, like we Ian just read from Job. Job is full of times, or full of a man talking through his grief, talking through his sadness, his anger at what's going on. But when letting that take over, that's when it can be difficult. So the most vivid example of this in Israelite history, at this point, when they're looking back, would have been the Exodus. And twice in particular, when the odds of physical survival are slim at best the spiritual turmoil hits. And these are up there uh, on the screen. So Exodus chapter 14. Israel is gathered by the Red Sea, but is surrounded by the entirety of Egypt's forces. There seems to be absolutely no way out. And this is how they responded. Israel's people, the, God's people say to Moses, is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Now, maybe this is how uh, we'd react if we were there too. We don't know. But they seem to have forgotten the past 400 years of being driven to the bone, of being killed by the Egyptians. And yet, Yahweh immediately provides the escape through the Red Sea. And rather than the waters going over them, The waters literally came over the entire Egyptian army and swept them away. The language of verse two. And you think after that that it'd be like, well, he's done that. What else? We have no reason to worry, no reason to complain. But yet, two months later, in chapter sixteen, we see this: the people of Israel said to them, "Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt, in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full." For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. They've not just forgotten the 400 years of history. They've forgotten six weeks ago, eight weeks ago, as what he's done for them. Now, the traps were there physically in Exodus, time and again. But this one of doubting that Yahweh really is true to his promises... Doubting that he really did is going to do what he said he would do. Like we see in in Genesis 3 with uh, the evil one tempting. Did God really say? But yet he came through time and again. Now let me come back uh, to the more contemporary examples uh, I mentioned earlier. If you're in the church in these persecuted countries, wherever it may be, the ones we mentioned, other ones that uh, we could be here for a while mentioning countries where it's dangerous to be a Christian. Mightn't it be easier to stop climbing the hill? Might that thought not enter your head? might it not be easier to rest here and stop with the hardship? And this physical preservation, when we think of these countries, the physical preservation I was speaking about seems to be undercut. Because we know that the, it's not the buildings that are just destroyed and looted it's the people as well they're hurt we know that martyrs exist and sometimes that close call that crash from which people walk away pe- some peop- people do not walk away I've got family friends uh, who used to work in Afghanistan and every so often through the years you would see the Facebook post from them saying that a colleague of theirs has passed away In Afghanistan, in amongst what's going on there. So, how do we square that with the Lord being our helper and protector when death is so real and so all encompassing? Well, the reality is if you believe in the Lord, if you are a Christian today, death does not have the last laugh. The ultimate snare, the ultimate trap, the consequences of sin and death has been broken. That trap no longer holds us because Jesus broke it, even though it did not look that way. When Jesus died on the cross at Calvary that day, it looked like he'd been swallowed up in the anger of the people. It looked like the torrents and the floods had swept him away. It looked like the teeth had been sunk in. And it looked like the snare was locked, closed, and that was it. And yet it wasn't. Death could not hold him. And what looked like a resounding defeat for the Lord was the ultimate victory snatched from the jaws of seemingly ultimate defeat. By this victory won for us, that snare has been broken for you. Paul writes uh, to the Colossian church who were being told that there were other things that had to be done to break that snare. He writes this in chapter 1. Verse 13 to 14, that's not going to be up on the screen, but if you want to take a note of it, that'd be be good. And you who were dead in your trespasses, not just trapped, dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by cancelling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. Like I said, not just trapped, dead, but not anymore. So, having thought about what could have happened, what would have happened had the Lord not stepped in, and seeing the ways in which he has, what's David's reaction? Now this is verse 8. It's praise as we've seen, but also confidence. So we've said the Lord will not leave his people to be destroyed. So we praise him as our lasting help. But also we then lean on him, who's our creator and sustainer in life and death. Now someone's name also means kind of their reputation. When we see that in Psalm 23, he keeps us for his name's sake so that we know who he is, that he keeps his promises, like we've spoken about uh, today. If people make a name for themselves, be it footballers, whatever it may be, they make a name for themselves for a certain thing, that's what we expect of them when we come into contact with them. Now, certain uh, brand names uh, instill confidence in whoever interacts with them. Apple's brand loyalty is far and away above the rest in the mobile market because people know they work. People know they have worked before and will continue to do so time and again. When you see that logo, you feel like you're in good hands. Apologies to any Android people in the room. And it's very much the same with people, uh, too. I started playing rugby uh, when I was about 12, 13 years old. And there was a particular coach who would promise the team things that never really came about. I distinctly remember a set of tracksuits that were on the way. So much so, there was one training session, a tape measure was taken out, taking shoulders and all these kind of measurements. But whenever we asked where, 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 where are the tracksuits, they're about three weeks away. There's a talk of a tour uh, to California at some point as well, I'm thinking some boys have never seen you know, the borders of Lewis, never mind getting them to California. <laughs> And there was one point when I was 15, I distinctly remember where I was, where I was told I'd be playing for Scotland as well. Now, ten years on, these tracksuits are still about three weeks away, I think. And it's probably for the better that Gregor Townsend hasn't sunk to asking me to play for them. But when this guy's name was attached to a promise or something was said, this is going to happen, the more it went on, the less and less reason we had to believe him. But our help, from verse 8, is in the name or the reputation of the Lord. The name of Yahweh. This being, again, like I've said, his character, his attributes. This is the promise-keeping, all-powerful Yahweh. And what's on his CV? He created heaven and earth. David is saying, whoever comes against the Lord's people, we're going to trust in the one who created those people who created these opponents, to deliver us from these opponents. And we'll see what happens to them next week uh, in Psalm 125. So as we come through this uh, Psalm, as we go through our lives, and we look back on this journey home through this fallen world, with the office, the playground, the lecture hall, or timeline that is so opposed to the gospel, whose anger flares up against us emotionally, intellectually, or physically in the places that we've mentioned before. As we do this, we can see that the Lord has kept his promises to his people every step of the way. The promise of opposition is there. Jesus mentions that in John 15 and in other places as well. But so is the promise of being delivered from that opposition ultimately in the end. Even if we die. This sustained the early church when it was under the full force of the Roman Empire. 500 people against the biggest nation that the world has ever seen. Where is the church now? It's here in Collington. It's all across the world. Where is the Roman Empire? Yes, you've got the Colosseum but other than that it's all in museums. The Babylonian Empire, exactly the same. You can put it in a room in London or in Berlin at the gate there, and that's it. But God's church has continued to grow. And we can come through the torrents because he's done it for his people and his church before. He can break us out of the snare that we feel is shut because he's broken the ultimate snare of sin and death himself. And we long for that ultimate home. That is a right feeling. Because of how tough the journey is, and sometimes we might be tempted to think it would be easier to stop climbing. But because the Lord is on our side, we can keep going boldly, even if it feels like we're crawling. Now, I'm just going to finish uh, with this from Amazing Grace. It says, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. How? How have I come through them? Tis grace has brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. Let me pray. Father, thank you that you are on our side. Thank you that our continued running, our continued climbing is ultimately down to your goodness towards us. Thank you that it is you that sustains us and not our own, performance or how we feel but what we know about your character and your goodness to us we pray that we would uh, rest on these things that we would lean on these things and that you would allow us uh, to be emboldened by them to continue on our journey home we pray these things in your name amen